0: You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. And the concept that they came with, out of many concepts in the 80s and 90s, what's this concept called the hell house? How many of you heard the hell house before? All right, how many of you have heard about Family fun night, the alternative to Halloween. We do that. We do family fun night here, usually on October 31st as an alternative so people could come here and have a safe place to get candy and also enjoy Halloween and also hear the gospel. Very family-centered, very friendly. Well, back before the days of trunk parties where you would do a family fun night or inside the church, there was these things called haunted houses, Right, And we still do those. Some in the community, they'll open up their house and they'll decorate it with ghosts and goblins and with demons and with live people, too. And you go in there, and at the end, there's a treat. You get to get candy. But you need to go through all the rooms and get freaked out and frightened first. And then the different theme parks saw what was going on, and they knew that they can profit from it. And so at Disneyland or at Knott's Berry Farm or at Magic Mountain, you would have Fright Night 2002. Fright Night, 2003, where the whole entire park is basically like a haunted house and you get scared because at any place, someone can jump out from the bush with claws to kill you. Of course, they don't kill you, okay, but you do get scared. Well, the Christians, they thought, you know what, why don't we capitalize it and we can use this for ministry. So instead of Family Fun Night, they went the other way and they started to do these haunted house evangelism and in their minds, they're thinking, you know what? Hell is real. I mean, they know hell is real, but heaven is real, too. So why don't we have a church member's home and basically make it a hell house? Instead of a haunted house, it'll be a hell house. Or they go through the front door, and they have to go through each room. And each room will have a different depiction of hell and what would come about if you did something that got you to hell. So one room would be what would happen if you were a liar and cheater for your whole life. Another, And then you see all this torture and people getting scared because they are a liar and they're a cheat. Another room is the room for what would happen to you if you were a murderer. This would be the tortures that would happen to you if you were a murderer. And there would be flames, it would be dark, it would be red. The devil would show up also and his demons and try to scare you to death. And then at the end, finally, the last and largest room is the heaven room. So there's a redemptive quality to this. It wasn't just all bad, there was the heaven room. And the heaven room was this hell, everything that you went through, all these nine or ten rooms, that is what awaits you. That is your destiny. But you can escape it through Jesus Christ. You can enter into a place like this. And then the gospel is presented, they get a gospel tract. And then they walk out, I hope, knowing what was going on. <laughs> and that was called the Hell House Ministry. It still is happening today. All you have to do is go on Wikipedia, type in Hell House, and you'll see there are many different churches and many individual Christians who are doing this thing called Hell House Ministry or Hell House Evangelism. But the reason why they did this was because they saw that in American culture, they really like to capitalize on fear on shock and on frightfulness. Now, I don't like horror movies. I, I think that they're a waste of time, OK? I, I mean, I did watch The Exorcism of Emily Rose, but for spiritual reasons, OK? I wanted to see what her, her story was and see if it was really true. Uh, those of you that have been here for a long time know that I got in trouble as a youth director because in our first, um, what do you call it, uh, lock-in, right? We used to do these things called lock-ins where we just get all the youth and we lock ourselves in for 24 hours here and we do different activities. But I thought, you know what? It's a lock-in. It's near Halloween. Why don't we just scare everyone and then use that as a a way to evangelize, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Kaitlyn knows. Kaitlyn knows. I see Kaitlyn. She's back. Welcome back. She knows what I'm talking about. And and then Brian E. was here and then like they were all scared. And I'm like, oh no, what have I done? And and then, of course, it happened. Two weeks later, Pastor Michael sits me down. And he says, Peter, we need to talk. Um, yeah, that probably wasn't really a good idea, what you did in, in showing the exorcism. But it's a Christian movie. It's a, it is a Christian movie. right? The guy who did it uh, was from Biola. It was it's a Christian movie. Well, yeah, but um, they all couldn't go to sleep the next day. And the parents complained. And probably not the best idea. I'm like, OK, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So then, you know, now, now it's all just Disney movies for, <laughs> for, for lock-ins. But American culture loves this horror genre. How many of you love this scare thriller horror drama? Raise your hand. Okay, maybe you're, you're afraid to admit it now that I've given it a, b- a bad image. Uh, but they thought, you know what? Why don't we use this in order to do evangelize evangelism? Let's accommodate to the culture... Instead of having a haunted house um, or a, a fright night, we'll have a hell and heaven night or a hell house, and then we'll share the gospel at the end. And everyone's going to have a great time. They'll be frightened. They'll see gory scenes. But at the end, they won't just walk out thinking about the gory scenes. They'll think about Jesus, and they'll think about salvation that can come through Christ. Now, what do you think? Do you think that that's an appropriate idea for outreach and evangelism? Or do you not think that's an appropriate idea for outreach and evangelism? If I went to JC and I asked her, hey, family fun night, 2017, what are we doing differently? I have an idea. Let's do the Hell church. And we can start over there. There's at least, what, 15 rooms before you enter the sanctuary. And we can have 15 different depictions of hell and what will happen if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. But then you come to the sanctuary and we'll have Thomas play like all these awesome Christian songs and we'll decorate everything like with light in heaven and then they'll leave knowing the gospel and hearing the gospel, having a gospel tract and having a whole bunch of candy that they can enjoy too. And then we'll have the candy, CCCTO, please come back. (laughs) You know, what if I did that? And now, back then, there were people who criticized it. Christians said, well, it's wrong. It's wrong to actually have demons running around the church or in a Christian home, even though there's a redemption at the end. It just doesn't feel right to to have these gory scenes of people with their bodies half open and blood all over the place as a way to scare them. The non-Christians didn't like it either. The non-Christians were like, you're manipulating us. You're You're giving us the Halloween experience, and at the end, you're just proselytizing and then pushing your Bible and your own agenda um, for us. And it was split. But here's one thing that they both agreed on. Was it relevant to the culture? Was it cool? Both non-Christians and Christians, even the critics said, yes, it was relevant and it was cool. Was it effective? Both, Even though it was manipulative, even though they didn't think that it felt right for a church or a Christian household to do, yes, it was effective. And so they were split on whether it's appropriate or not. And I believe that we'd probably be split here too. Right? I'm just going to do a quick vote for Family Fun Night this coming year. What if we did a Hell House evangelism for a church? How many of you believe it's appropriate for us to do this? Raise your hand. How many of you think it's inappropriate to do this? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you think that regardless of whether it's appropriate or inappropriate, it would be interesting and it would be effective for evangelism. Raise your hand. See, same thing, okay, same thing. And so the church, in trying to reach people, non-Christians for Christ, have used very creative methods to do so. For example, hell house evangelism. And we see that the early church went through the same thing. And we're going to see that even circumcision was used for the purpose of the gospel, like, what? Circumcision? Yes, even the circumcision, not just of babies, but of adults. Now that's that's serious. Those of us that understand circumcision, wow, you know, and this is before the days of sedatives and all those things. But even circumcision was used for the gospel. And we'll see how they accommodated to the culture in order to bring the gospel to them, as long as they didn't accommodate sin. Now we see here in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Paul and Silas are now going back to the churches that they had shared the gospel and started in the first missionary journey. If you remember by 50 AD, they had all come back to Antioch and then they had that Jerusalem council where they settled once and for all that you don't have to be circumcised and you don't have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You can be a Syrian, you can be an Ethiopian, Egyptian, um, a Greek or a Roman, and just believe in Jesus without being circumcised, without having to become a Jew. First, you can be saved without being circumcised and without following the Old Testament law. Now, it's one year afterwards, they had settled that conflict, and he and Barnabas are thinking, well, why don't we go back and see how the churches we, are, we planted are doing? And so they have that drama that happened, as, as you know, and then Barnabas uh, goes and takes Mark down to this, the island of Cyprus, and then Paul takes Silas, and then he's going to take a young man named Timothy who will become his most trusted aide and goes northwards around Cilicia to Lystra, Derby, and the different towns that he ministered to before. Let's start in verse 1, and then I'll uh, share with you some insights from these verses before we talk about how it relates to us specifically. Verse 1 of chapter 16. He, Paul, this is referring to Paul, Came to Derby and then to Lystra. Now, this is really significant because if we remember what happened the last time Paul and Barnabas were missionaries and shared the gospel in Derby and Lystra, if you can remember back far enough, if you want to cheat, you can flip back your Bibles or rotate your, your uh, smartphones back a couple of chapters. They were stoned, they didn't like them sharing the gospel. And the reason why is because so many people came to know Jesus by their evangelism that the leaders who didn't like Christianity because most of them were Jewish leaders and conservative Jewish leaders, they kicked them out and they even stoned Paul. Now, Even though Paul was injured, he was able to escape. He wasn't killed. And now, one year later, he's going back to these same dangerous towns that almost killed him and he wants to see how the flock that he started through the power of the Holy Spirit is doing. So we see courage, the courage of Paul. And I'm sure Timothy, who will be joining them later, would know of this courage because he was there to see all of this persecution transpire. And in actuality, not only was he there, but he and his family, at least on his mother's side, his mother and his grandmother became Christians as a result of Paul and Barnabas's mission work. He, Paul, came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. Now, this is important. Timothy, is he not a disciple or is he a disciple? He's a disciple. So he's a believer already. Now, this is important for what we're going to talk about next. So Timothy, a disciple, lived in Lystra, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer. So she was one of those Jews which heard Paul's preaching and became a believer as a result, but whose father was Greek. Now, we know that Timothy's mom and grandmother uh, were believers because if you cross-reference to 2 Timothy 1.5, I don't have the slide for that, but just listen. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writes to Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you, also so we see that the entire family on the mom side comes to know christ as a result of paul and barnabas preaching of the gospel but dun 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 his father was a greek and that's a no-no did you know that in jewish culture back then it was illegal to marry someone if you were not if that person was not a jew now how do they get married well like what happened to the Samaritans, who were despised by the Jews as well. And Timothy would have been despised because he was only half-Jewish. And also we'll find out he wasn't even circumcised. Roman, Rome and the Greeks were ruling the area. They were even ruling through Palestine. So they didn't have to follow these Jewish laws. And so Rome didn't care whether the, the couple was both Jewish or one was Jewish and one was someone else. So because the father was Greek, Timothy would have to listen to what the father uh, said because it was a patriarchal society, and we find out that although he was raised with a Jewish upbringing, that he was not circumcised. And those of us that remember chapter 15, circumcision it was everything. All right, it, it was the sign and the symbol of your covenant relationship with God. They believed if you were not circumcised, then you did not have a relationship with God, which is why it was such a big problem in the council of Jerusalem. Continue on, verse 2, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along in the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. What? What's going on here? Paul, I thought that just chapter ago you and all the other church leaders says you don't need to be circumcised in order to be a good christian you don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved is that right kaden kyle and nathan is that true no you don't think so nathan okay well you should i want you to take your bible right now and read acts chapter 15 okay read Acts and then sit maybe uh, closer to eric although that might even be more dangerous all right I thought that was done and handled already. And so a lot of scholars think that Paul is some kind of a a mental freak, that he's like contradicting himself theologically. Because why would Paul want Timothy to be circumcised when he just a few minutes ago said that circumcision is not necessary to be a Christian? Well, here is the thing. It wasn't just a few minutes ago. Although in our eyes, when we read it, it just takes a few minutes to get from chapter 15 to chapter 16. But if you look at Acts 15, 36, it says, sometime later, and scholars believe about a year later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So it's already been probably around a year now, and then Paul saying, let's go back and visit these churches in Lystra and Derbe and see how these Christians um, are doing. And also... If you look at it carefully he's not circumcising timothy in order for him to be saved but he's doing something else we know timothy is already saved because in verse one he's called a disciple named timothy so why is he circumcising him even though it has been resolved that you for christians you don't have to be circumcised anymore you don't have to become a jew first Well, the reason why was because he was trying to evangelize the Jews in that area. The Christians, the Jews that became Christians would not have a problem with this because they would have heard by now that you do not have to be circumcised in order to be a good Christian. But the non-Christian Jews, they don't care. They want you to be circumcised, especially if you are a half-barbarian. You need to show that you care about God through circumcision according to the Old Testament law. And so in order to, for the purpose of evangelism, Paul accommodated the Jewish culture that he was trying to reach, and Timothy was circumcised. Now, please believe you me that Timothy uh, was circumcised by his own free will. (laughs) Okay, It wasn't something that was forced upon him. So Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because the Jews who lived in that area now also i want to share that this is so paul okay you know how where's paul where's paul there he is paul Jean. all right like he does stuff and you go that's so paul right oh he's playing volleyball of course that's that's so paul right but this is really paul because do you remember what paul said in 1 corinthians 9 verse 19 to 23 do you remember david david Kwong, do you remember What he said in 1 Corinthians 9? No, right? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what he said. This is so Paul, because this is what Paul said. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in his blessings." We see from other letters that Paul wrote that he was not so full of himself that he would not be willing to give up some of his identity in order to be able to share the gospel with others. I believe with my heart that if Paul wasn't circumcised, of course he was, we know he was a faithful Jew, he was, but if he wasn't circumcised and he was going to a place where there's a heavy Jewish presence, that he probably would have had himself circumcised in order to reach them for Christ because he would be willing to do whatever he could and accommodate someone's culture as long as it wasn't an accommodation to sin in order to bring them to Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Verse 4. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. If you remember what that decision was, number one, that you don't have to be circumcised anymore in order to be saved Um, Circumcision was an option. It wasn't a necessity now to be a Christian. And also, number two, if you remember, uh, please don't get involved in pagan worship and combine that with Christianity. So uh, be faithful to your marriage partner. Don't have sex until marriage. And if you ever eat anything, make sure all the blood uh, has been taken out of that meat um, before you uh, eat of it. Verse five So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily. In numbers. Now what is the thing that Acts chapter 16 verses 1 to 5 wants us to learn, wants us to know? What is that one thing that Acts 16 1 to 5 is trying to teach us? Well, I believe that he's trying to teach us this. If we want to effectively reach a certain group for Christ, it is often helpful to accommodate to their culture as long as it is not an accommodation to sin. Think about the groups that aren't Christian in your life. If you want to reach them for Christ, it is often helpful to accommodate through their culture as long as it's not an accommodation for sin. Now you think, well, that's easy. We do that in business all the time. Actually, it's harder than you think because sometimes it means getting circumcised. I mean, if you've got to get circumcised in order to reach the culture, I mean, that's, that's some pain and suffering right there. Sometimes you have to give Of your own culture in order to reach someone else's culture for Christ but you know what it works it works I was a youth pastor or youth minister at this Baptist Church in Covina for four years and do you know the number one most successful evangelistic ministry there was it wasn't youth group it wasn't college group it wasn't adult Bible study. It wasn't the block parties that we did. The block party drew a lot of people because they knew there was Chinese food. Okay? And we had this one guy that knew how to do like, ancient Chinese art and calligraphy. Right? He was one of the elders. And it looked really, really cool, like the stuff that you would buy at the museum. right? But they didn't stay. They came, and they, it was a nice, cool thing to see in the midst of a Caucasian Latino uh, uh, environment. But They didn't come back on Sundays or Fridays or Wednesday for prayer meeting. It wasn't the Sunday service. Now, was something wrong with those ministries? No, we were faithfully preaching the Bible. We were trying to relate to our congregation. Uh, We had great music. Uh, We did have drums. Okay, drums is key, right, to reaching this culture. Um, We we did visitations, but you know the number one ministry that brought the most people and had the most staying power. Okay, because I would say out of Three people that were, that were newcomers out of four came from this ministry. It was the English-class ministry that met on Thursday nights. It was the ESL ministry. A very unknown ministry. No one wants to be a part of it because who wants to teach English, right? And the majority of the people that came, they were Chinese because they saw it was a Chinese church. And so they came to learn how to speak English because they were from Taiwan. Hong Kong, or, or mainland China. And after building relationships, the teachers and the people who were teaching English said, you know what, we have a youth group on Friday night, and we have an uh, English service and also a Chinese service. Um, and we can hang out more. And you can learn more stuff about the Bible and God, too. You want to come? And then at least half of those people that came to that English teaching English ministry, ESL ministry, would come to either the English side or the Chinese side, and they stayed because of the relationships that we built with them, and also we accommodated to their need. And it was just amazing. It works. It works. And yes, a lot of them did not want to take the time to teach English because it's boring. I'm sorry, some of your English teachers, uh, teaching English grammar and prose is not the funnest thing for some people who are more math minded. I, thought, I, th- I think it's awesome. Okay. But the sacrifices that were made gave back in results of people who stayed. You know, here's another example. How many of you, when you drive around, um, see these churches called Calvary Chapel? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have heard of this, this thing that happens every summer called the Harvest Crusade with Greg glory? Or have seen bumper stickers of that? Raise your hand. Okay. Where's Dylan? Dylan. Okay, remember you shared about how you actually went to Harvest Crusade and was actually a Harvest Crusade counselor? Right? Okay, so Harvest Crusade. Of course, he remembers, and all of us remember too. Do you know the legacy that these people, these Caucasians, had in American Christianity? That bald guy right there? actually both of them were Paul Chuck Smith on the top left and then Greg Glory on the bottom center all right do you know the legacy they had they dramatically changed the face of Christianity in America and then around the world so much so that even our church has been blessed by the holy spirit using them to change the way we do church you see back in the 50s church was done much differently. Those of you that are older and have been in America, or actually in, in Taiwan or, or, or China, you had the spiritual instrument to lead worship music. And it was not the guitar. Oh, it was not the electric guitar. It was not the electric guitar. And oh, it wasn't the drums because those are the devil's instruments. People will start wiggling when you play that music and you can't do that for the Lord. You can't do that for the Lord. You know what was the spiritual instrument? It was the piano, and it was the organ. My first senior pastor, who was Cheng Kai-shek's own personal chaplain when he was still alive in Taiwan, told me one day, oh, Peter, you're learning the guitar? That's great. That's great. I hope one day you learn God's instrument. I'm like, what's, what's God's instrument? Oh, the piano or the organ. And they actually had a piano on one side and an organ on the other side of the Chinese congregation. And, and I looked at the organ. And I'm like, this is really hard to play, because you don't just have keys and just three little thingy things on the bottom. You have like keys on the top and a whole bunch of thingy things on the bottom. And then on the middle, there's other levels, too. How many here knows how to play the organ? OK, none. See, it's a lost art, but it is, it is seriously awesome. Okay, Because think about Bach and all of the stuff that he played using. Um, the organ but it was uh, the heavenly instrument although you never see the organ or piano mentioned in the Bible but you know we'll 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 bypass that uh, inadequacy and when you came to church you would not wear jeans no because that's the devil's devil's clothes or gangsters would wear wear jeans and you would have to wear a tie you know that there are churches still around today, churches, who will have a wardrobe in the foyer for anyone who comes in who is not dressed with a tie and with a sports coat, and they will give you a tie and a sports coat, because if you come in without that, that is not proper for a reverent rental worship. So they will actually offer you that. You know, I should go to that church and say, hey, can I borrow these? <laughs> Save some money, right? You don't want them anywhere, right? They're too old, right? But That was their idea of of church, right? And then so if you remember, in the 50s and 60s, the countercultural movement started. And all of a sudden, all these surfers came out, and these hippies came out. And they were not only against the government, they were against the church, because the church was part of the man. The church was also part of Big Brother. We had people working for Big Brother that went to these establishment churches. And they didn't want to go to church. And the church didn't want them either, because, these hippies, they're barefoot. They come with their sandals. Some of them don't even come with, with sandals on. They have their jeans on. They listen to this rock music. They listen to Elvis and the Beatles. We don't want them. They, they come and they don't, want, they don't even know how to tie a tie. right? We don't want them, and they did not want us. And so this guy, his name is uh, Mr. Smith, he thought, you know what? How do we actually reach these people for Christ? And he tried to reach them, but they would not come because of the stigma. and. You have to understand, this is not going to China. This is not going to Europe. This is not going to Africa. This is in our own back door. These are all Caucasian Americans. Just a different generation and a different culture, even though it's the same race and same socioeconomic class. Maybe there's a divide in terms of the age, because most of them were youth, college, or young adults who were in this hippie movement. And he decided to just throw away all of that which was church. And he decided to do a new church. And you know what that new church looked like? It looked like us. He decided he would just wear a polo shirt and some jeans and maybe sandals sometimes. And he would invite people to come in, and they can write their own songs about Jesus. And then Maranatha and Vineyard Ministries was formed, where we sing songs like Seek Ye First, or I Love You, Lord, or Pass It On, those, those songs. And then he allowed there to be rock music in church. The guitar was, was, was taken out in order to play with. The drums and the bongos were included in addition to the organ and also uh, the, the piano. And they would be able to worship God their own way. And then the, this thing called the Jesus movement was started. And it was so big that even time, that's not a fake thing, that's a real thing. The time even wrote about this in the 70s. So many of these weird looking, long haired surfer dudes coming to church, these barefooted, jean wearing people, short wearing people coming to church, and thousands and thousands hearing the gospel, becoming Christians, and then them becoming pastors themselves because. One person decided, you know what, it's time to break tradition and it's time to try to accommodate to the culture as long as it was not sinful and to share the word of God and a revival amongst the young generation happened. You know, it would be appropriate for us to continually think about what we can do as a church, a fellowship group, or as an individual here at school or work to leverage the culture of the people who don't know Jesus in order to reach them for Christ. And we are doing this. I know we're doing this. Family Fun Night is so attractive to the kids around us. They come, and we can share the gospel with them. Awana, you know that 30% I think I was talking to JC, 30% of the people that come to Awana don't come to our church. They're, they're local residents, but they like to come here because it's a safe place. They like the Bible stories. They like the games and the Bible verses their kids memorize. And, and they come, and they hear the gospel through Awana. The homeless ministry, so many people, and some who even have come and joined us on Sundays and on other days of the week because we minister to them in a way that they understand. But we do so much ministry that is appropriating the culture to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. To them. And we thank God for those of us who are spearheading and taking risks in order to find creative ways to share the gospel with our neighbors. But also at the same time it would also be appropriate for us to think about what we are doing that might be hindering people from coming to know Christ. Because there might be cultural things that we that we're doing that are adding extra layers from people wanting to come into our church or wanting to hear the gospel. And the challenge is this. Are we willing to give up some of the comforts we enjoy in order to reach out to groups that are not like us? An example of this is this. I don't want to cause any controversy. I just want us to think about it. But the name, Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks, for an English ministry, is that appropriate? Now, we've talked about this in the executive board and the pastoral team, and we felt that there's a place for a for that to be appropriate, that it still should be Chinese Christian Church of Thousand Oaks, even for the English ministry. But if you think about it, if it is so that that is the name, we will probably mainly get only a minority of people to come to our church, because the people that will come to our church for the English ministry will be English-speaking Chinese people, primarily. And then only others who are more liberally minded who can see beyond that will, will come. But that would be a limitation, and we all need to decide whether, okay, whether that's appropriate in order to reach out to our community for Christ. Now, of course, maybe that is appropriate because that is our goal. We want to be one of the best English speaking Chinese descent ministries around. Okay. But we need to think about that still for the short and also long-term future. Let's spend a time of prayer and reflection on this question. What can you do culturally to relate to people you want to reach for Christ? What can you do culturally to relate to people you want to reach for Christ? Let's spend some time in silent reflection and prayer before I close in prayer and ask the worship team to come forward.